Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, how many of you guys have your sweaters on today? Festive sweater weekend. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, nice. As you can see, I wore my kitties. Um, you know, Billy's always ragging on cats up here, so I just want to show some support to my cat lovers out there. Yeah. We got to unite. Oh, hey. Ooh. <laughs> Well, it's been Christmas season for a while, yeah? We've had the decorations up. We've been singing some Christmas songs. But this is our first Christmas teaching, sort of. Um, To be honest, it isn't necessarily a Christmas message, but our series is called I'll Be Home for Christmas. So I thought it would be cool to talk a little bit about the idea of home. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 27. You guys can go ahead and turn there now. If you're able, we'll get there eventually. And when we get to this passage, uh, we'll see that it has some home-like themes. There are two questions that come to mind when reading Psalm 27. And speaking of our Christmas theme, the first question is this, what is home? I bet you didn't think we were going to get so philosophical today, right? It's pretty deep. What is home? No, Uh, the idea of home is very intriguing to me. It's a common idea that's found all throughout the Bible, and I think it's because it makes sense to us, right? Deep down, it's something that we understand, home. So again, what is home? I'll tell you what home is. It's something that we have all these sayings about, these sayings that we put up on signs and then hang them up in our homes to remind us how we feel about the place that we're currently in, right? We can get all these warm and fuzzy feelings about them, something like this. Home, where our story begins. Aw, it's cute. Or how about this classic? Home sweet home, tried and true, can't go wrong with that. Maybe you prefer this one. Home is where the heart is. Yeah, that's a good one. And let's not forget, Dorothy, there's no place like home. These are our ideas of home, right? A place of peace, comfort, security, where we want to go, where we want to return, and where we rest. Even for somebody who maybe comes from an unstable home, or maybe somebody who's experienced being houseless, we all have this desire deep down inside of us, and we recognize it, right? We want a place like this, comfort, security for ourselves. So much so that did you know that last year, the home decor industry reached a record $182 billion in sales. And based on the article, most of this was made up of online sales. So this is what this means. We love our homes so much, we sit in our homes to buy more things for our homes. Okay, we have one more to look at. Fill a house with love and it becomes a home. Probably more accurately, fill a house with a bunch of cheesy signs, and it becomes a home. Yeah, yeah, amen. Uh, So let me tell you about my home for a moment. I live in the Cloverdale neighborhood. Anybody know where that is? Oh, got a couple over here. So it's behind Safeway, Joe Lane area. That's actually called the Cloverdale neighborhood. This is a post-war neighborhood. My house was built in 1949, and it is a tract house. Um, So pretty much five blocks by five blocks in my neighborhood, half, no more, like 80% are like the same exact house, just all built in a row. 
But here's what I love about my neighborhood is that that was 70 plus years ago. So now as you walk through the neighborhood, one of our favorite things to do is go, oh, look at that one. Oh, they, they added onto their bedroom there. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, look at the roof line's different there. Like, oh, there's that window. They all have that window, right? We get to see all these things that have changed throughout the years. We like to do remodeling ourselves in our own home. It's something we enjoy doing, fixing up things and, and changing things. Well, why do we do this? Why have we made all these renovations? Why these 70 years have people done all this? Well, it's because they're making their home their own, right? They're looking for that place of comfort, just like we are. We want a place to make our own where we can come home and feel comfortable. This is our picture of what home is. It is that place of comfort, peace, love. Well, like we said, Psalm 27 talks about this idea of home. It's filled with a handful of building and home type words, and it uses home as a metaphor. In just a moment, we'll read these verses and try to understand this idea a little bit more. But first, before we do, let me preface a couple things. Uh, there are a few things that are really important to know, so stick with me for a bit. We're going to go through these pretty quick. First, we're reading Psalm 27, yes, but what even is a psalm? Good question. Well, the book of Psalms is a collection of poems and songs. These are artistic writings. They were written by a number of different people, but then compiled into one book. There are 150 psalms that make up the book of psalms. And these psalms functioned as prayers and worship for the people of ancient Israel. And likewise, they can be a model for our prayers today. Uh, second, as we read these verses, you'll notice that they have a... I shouldn't have grown the beard, see? Get a little... There we go. How's that noise? Sorry. Second, as we read these verses, you'll notice that they have a back and forth, up and down nature to them. This is because some commentators believe that this Psalm 27 was written in two parts. Verses one through six, when life was going really good. Verses seven through 12, when things were not so good, the writer was experiencing a difficult time. And then at some point, the writer combined both parts, and then wrote verses 13 and 14 to kind of tie it all together. Other people believe, though, that no, this probably was written all at one time, and that the up and down nature was intended. It's a poetic tool used to point out and help us recognize this very thing, that life does have ups when things are going good, and life does, in fact, have downs when things are difficult. And speaking of the writer, well, who was the writer of this psalm? Well, it was written by a man named David. You may have heard of him. We know a lot about David from our Bibles. He was a king of Israel, and the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. David wrote a lot of psalms, at least 73 that we know of for sure. So why did David write so many psalms? Well, because this is exactly his kind of thing. He's an artist sensitive. And quite frankly, he experienced a lot. Let's think about the most well-known story about David. I almost guarantee that if today this is your very first time ever gathering in a church, you probably already know a story about David. And if that's true, this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad you're here. But this story of David, fill in the blank, we all know it. It's the story of David and... Yeah, first service, somebody said Bathsheba. And I went, well, yes, but that's not the one we're thinking of. Um, 
So this story, right? While, while still, fresh, uh, still a fresh-faced lad, too young for battle, David ends up being the only one brave enough to stand up to a giant warrior. And throughout the entire story, David has no fear in his mind. He's completely courageous, completely confident in the Lord. This is one of the highlights of David's life. But on the flip side, David is no stranger to trying times and extreme lows, times of worry and fear. He's also kind of being known for somebody who is on the run, hiding in caves. This is actually kind of a common occurrence for David. This is the cool thing about David. He is a walking oxymoron. He may have been a battle-hardened soldier, confident and ready for war, but he was also that sensitive artist full of inner turmoil, and he had the gift to be able to articulate his thoughts well. This is the man who wrote these words of Psalm 27, which are filled with both of these themes, courage and fear. Now, another thing to know, like we said, David would eventually become king of Israel. We can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And here's the first thing that happens after he becomes king. It says David goes to battle and he wins. And this is where God's people actually claim Jerusalem for the very first time. And they rename the city, uh, yeah, rename the city, the city of David. So he conquered the land and it says that he makes the fortress his home and they begin to rebuild the city. And then a couple verses later, we read this. It says, and Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. See, this is David's palace called the house of cedar. And it would have been a place that was fit for a king. Of course, right? David is a king now. This is the very first thing that David does. He builds himself a home, and this is a custom home. David is not going to be moving into no tract house. See, he's able to build exactly what he wants. And he wants what we want, right? He wants a place to make his own, a home, a place of comfort, peace, security. And after all that war, who could blame him? We have some contextual clues found later in the chapter that tell us that this palace was most likely built up on a hill just outside of the the city walls. Uh, It says this in verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went down to the stronghold left his palace and went down to the stronghold. So what is a stronghold? Well, it's a place that's been secured to protect against attack. We usually picture castle walls, right? Built high up and around to protect the place where people live. In this case, these are the city walls of Jerusalem. It's a stronghold. It's a place of security. As a newly appointed king, David is all set, right? He has his fancy palace overlooking the city, and he has a stronghold to protect against attacks. But one final thing to know. 
Something that commentators and theologians like to do is try to figure out at what point in David's life he wrote a particular psalm. And when it comes to Psalm 27, some scholars believe the most convincing theory is that it was written during the rebellion of Absalom. Absalom was David's son. So long story short, there was a series of family issues and not just the, oh, great, we got to see bossy Aunt Patty at Christmas. She's the worst. No, nothing like that, right? Instead, these family issues involved rape, murder, and a coup. This would eventually lead to David's son, Absalom, staging a rebellion that would force David on the run, drive him into hiding. We can read about it here in 2 Samuel chapter 15. It says, Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Must have been a big sword, right? So David finds himself in an interesting situation. He's now under attack yet again, but this time his stronghold won't cut it because there are traitors all around him, rebels on the inside. This is a situation where his palace, his home, his place of comfort and peace, and his stronghold, his place of security, they don't work. And so David is forced to leave. It says that all the people with him were weeping as they left the city, heading into the wilderness. And you can picture David as he leaves the city gates and he makes his way out. He turns back to take a final look and he sees the city walls, the stronghold, and he sees his palace up on the hill. Now he's no longer protected. He's out in the open. He's vulnerable. And he's afraid. This is where some words or prayers begin to form in his mind. See, as we read Psalm 27, David's words are going to propose a couple ideas. One, he's going to model something for us. When we leave the comfort of what we know, when our stronghold fails, when what we thought was secure is no longer secure, when we have fear and trouble around us, how do we respond in those moments? And next, he's also going to propose a second question to us. Remember, we said there were two questions that come to mind. First, we said, what is home? But also, where is home? See, a stronghold idea of home is accurate. We all long for a place of comfort and security, and there's nothing wrong with that. But David's going to show us that a physical place is just one idea of home. He's going to show us a better picture of home. So with all this important background in our minds, let's now look at David's response. 
Let's hear the words and prayer that are beginning to form in his mind in this moment. So Psalm 27, starting in verse one, follow along if you're able, it says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, David starts right off the bat acknowledging the truth that he already knows deep down. His actual stronghold is the Lord. This is such a great, powerful, and effective way to start this psalm. See, by asking these questions, David is inviting not only himself, but also us, the readers, to ask the same question, to ponder for ourselves. What do we have to fear? See, in this moment, David could clearly choose to be afraid, but he's choosing to acknowledge that because of God, he doesn't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. Now, I think a better question for me when, when, pondering, when pondering all this is, what do I not fear? See, I've shared with you uh, all a little bit before up here about how I've dealt with anxiety since I was a kid. And so in my life, I've had moments where it seems like everything is a reason to be fearful. Like this Psalm, I go through my own ups and downs and back and forth in life, right? I think we can all do that sometimes. Now, whether you struggle with anxiety or fear or not, we all have things that we could choose to be afraid of, right? Finances, economy, health and safety, uh, relational dynamics, family, struggles, addiction. What would happen if, or what will happen when, right? It's these types of questions that can cause fear to creep in. Paired with these questions, verse one, David also states three truths. He says, the Lord is my light, salvation, stronghold. Why did David highlight these three things? Well, remember, he's currently experiencing the opposite, darkness, danger, and he's under attack. Now, in this moment, after leaving the comfort and security behind, fear, creeping in, David is going to show for us, and this is the first thing that we can learn from him and how he responds in this moment, how he responds to fear. And the very first thing that he does is remember what God has done. He continues uh, in verse two and three. It says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. See, David remembers what God has done for him in the past, and and that's exactly what gives him courage. He says, my heart shall not fear. Now, the poetry in this invites us to picture these evildoers as savage animals, ready to tear into his skin, right? He says, eat up my flesh. David also talks about armies and war. There are many times in David's life where war was all around him, where he was being chased after by armies. Now, this is probably something that none of us have experienced before. At least I know for me, I've never had an army chasing me before. But I have had moments where I feel like, 
the walls are closing in on me, where my anxiety is so strong that it's all I could think about, right? Sometimes in life, we feel like, oh, there's just no escape. And it's this process of feeling those feelings of fear, but choosing to see the positive outcomes of the past that that lead to firm confidence in the Lord. In verse two and three, Yes, David does say wars arise, armies encamp, and evildoers assail, but he also recognizes my adversaries and foes, they're the ones who stumble and fall. My heart shall not fear, yet I will be confident. See, David is reminding himself that there will be plenty to fear, but he can live a fearless life because he has confidence in the fact that the Lord is his light, salvation, and that the Lord is his stronghold. Stronghold. This is where David really emphasizes the house metaphor. And he's really going to drive home this idea of home as he continues on in verse four. It says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, this is David's true desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. The word dwell in Hebrew means to sit, remain, inhabit, right? David wants to inhabit God's house, the house of the Lord. And in telling us the one thing that he's asking for, that he's seeking after, David is showing us again how he responds to the fear that he's feeling. First, he remembers what God has done And then his second response is to desire the presence of God. In the midst of fear, war all around him, uh, armies coming after him, you might expect David's desire to be physical protection or, or safety. But the thing that David desires most is to be in the presence of God, to make his home there in God's presence. It says all the days of his life. See, he longs to worship him daily. He longs to to ponder and and think about him and to let those thoughts lead to curious investigation. Now, context, David is living in a time uh, when God's presence, the place of worship, is confined to one spot. It's called the tabernacle. It's a tent. So when David has to leave, he's now separated himself from this physical place. And that's where this longing comes from, to be able to be back in that place of God's presence. Now, here's the cool thing, though, for you and I. We live on this side of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And because of that, his presence is available to anyone who chooses to follow him. That means that we can have constant access to his presence And we thank Jesus for that. But again, for David, this isn't the case. But regardless, he understands that God's presence is the most important thing that he could seek after and seek after. And this is what shapes his thoughts. But he doesn't stop there. He's going to explain his reasoning to us, telling us why he seeks the presence of God to dwell in his house. And actually, in the next couple of verses, he's really going to double down on the house idea. Verses five and six, he says this, 
for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David knew that in God's presence, he would be made secure. But he also recognizes that this isn't some magical cure, that everything's gonna be all right and there's gonna be no more problems. No, he says in verse five, in the day of trouble. So he recognizes that there may still be bad days, things that will cause fear, but God will bring security and opportunity to worship while you're going through it. Now, in these first six verses we just looked at, David's been pondering these ideas. He's asking these questions. He's recalling what God has done for him. And it's brought him to a place of absolute firm conviction that God has been there every step of the way. What do I have to fear? See, David has come before the Lord with a proper posture. He's remembering all that God has done. And that's allowing him to put God in his rightful place above everything else in our lives, worship. But now this is where the Psalm takes a shift. Remember we said there were ups and downs and backs and forths. And it can sound a little confusing because we've just heard David confidently singing of God's security, but now we're gonna hear him cry out for rescue. But I think this is a very accurate shift. I'll tell you why. Because when, when we spend time doing that very thing, elevating God to his rightful place in our lives, it's in that moment that we begin to recognize just how little we are and how grand God is. It has the ability to move us to a place of real humility before God and to realize our need. And when we are responding to fear in our lives, after remembering what God has done and after seeking his presence, it's only appropriate that the next thing we would do is be moved to prayer. So our next response, David's next response, is to ask for what you need. See, God wants us to be open and honest about our needs. He, he wants to give us what we ask for. In the book of 1 John it says this, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. See, when we come before God in prayer, we can have confidence that he hears. And this is very, very good news because the very first thing that David asks for when he comes before God with a humble heart is this, hear me. Verse seven, he says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. See, when it comes to our relationships, we have a deep down desire to be heard. Sometimes in times of trouble, that's the first thing we need is just 
or somebody to listen. This is David's first request, that he would be heard. Hear his cries for help. Hear his worship. God, be gracious to me. Please hear me, God. The next ask in verse 8 is this, show me. Verse 8 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. He says, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. For the second time in this Psalm, David brings up the idea of seeking. David knows the importance of seeking after God. It's not passive, but it's very active. And so his second request is that God would not hide, turn away, cast off, or forsake. But show me, God, show me you. From his humble posture, he's reiterating his desire to be in God's presence. And again, reiterates the reason. It's his longing to inquire, to seek. Then after being heard and and seeing, in verse 11, David's ask is, guide me. Verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. See, David wants to be taught by God. With a humble heart, he's ready to learn and be directed. See, David is recognizing two things in this moment. First, that right now, moving in any other direction at this point will lead to nothing but more of the exact same attacks and criticism from his adversaries. And second, that right now in this situation of of fear and trouble, it would be nothing but a waste if David didn't learn anything from it. See, David is recognizing that it's these moments, these moments of uncomfortableness that are often what God uses to teach us and to lead us. So he's asking for that very thing to happen. And then David's final ask, verse 12, is keep me. Verse 12, he says, give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. It's a troubling world. David says these adversaries have come against him with false claims. And he uses the picture of violence being breathed out. The tongue can be a powerful tool for destruction. So David's last ask is that he would not be ruined by these false claims. He says, give me not up to to the will of my adversaries. He says, Lord, don't let them dictate my future, but please keep me aligned to your will. And then finally, the psalm wraps up with another high note. This is David's hopeful declaration that life doesn't have to be all pain and sorrow and fear and trouble until we get to heaven. Now, in verse 13, David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Yes, David is looking forward to a day when everything will be made right and that he gets to spend eternity in God's presence. But in the meantime, he's trusting that he'll get to see and experience God's presence and goodness now as well. Then he ends with, a, with the final response to fear. And this is a reminder to him and to us. And it's this, wait with courage. Verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. And again, he repeats it. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27 paints a picture of another kind of home. David shows us a a better picture of, of home, a home where we can experience peace, comfort, security, love, a place where we can find our courage, a place where our fears fade away. And this is the house of the Lord. It's, it's God's presence. And once you've been there, it becomes the place you want to go, where you want to return, and the place where you rest. See, as we head into this final week before Christmas, may these words be on your heart. And may you understand that whether you have a physical place like this or not, the truth is you can have access to God's presence anytime. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas, that Jesus came to make this access possible. And my prayer for all of us is that we would be able to experience true home and that we will be able to experience the goodness of God now. Let me pray for us. God, I am so grateful for Psalm 27. I thank you so much for just bringing it to us this morning, Lord. Um, God, such a powerful and strong reminder of this truth, God, that yes, life has ups and downs, backs and forths, but God, through all of that, you offer to us true home, God, a place of peace, comfort, security, love, joy. God, I'm so thankful and grateful for that, God. And and my prayer is that as we head out this week, God, that these words would move from from our minds and begin to root in our heart, Lord. God, and that we would be able to seek out our true home in you this week, God. God, and that in these moments of being in your presence, God, we would just be able to experience your goodness, God, the goodness of God now. I thank you so much for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.